Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Right, welcome to another, yet another episode of The Rest is Politics, yet another special episode to celebrate, if that's the right word, the finally, this reality TV show has got down to the final two. It is, as we foretold yesterday, Rory, it is Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. So what do we think of that? Well, I think the first thing is that it, it, it will surprise people. Um, there were a lot of commentators on Twitter, some people I followed who were pretty confident that Liz Truss wouldn't make it through. Penny Morden was ahead of her consistently in the voting. And obviously on that side of the party, Michael Gove had bet hard on Kemi Badenoch, not on Liz Truss, who's an old friend of his. So I think that's the first thing, that it's unexpected. And I think what you and I were probably reading was the sense of that Sunday night debate where it pretty much seemed to be a sort of Rishi and Liz show, didn't it? Do you, do you think there were, um, looking at the numbers as they've developed vote by vote, do you, do you think that Rishi, some of Rishi Sunak's supporters were backing Liz Truss? Do you get the feeling that Rishi Sunak wanted Liz Truss rather than Penny Morden? I think there are two things going on. I think some foolish people in his camp may have deliberately tried to push Liz Truss through because they think she's easy to beat. But I think the bigger thing, which I was getting from MPs I was talking to yesterday, I talked to a couple yesterday who felt that although they preferred Rishi, they're worried that the members aren't going to vote for Rishi. And they wanted a fallback from Rishi, who they thought at least had experience. And they thought that she had more, Liz Truss had more experience than Penny Morden. I heard a very good interview with Ian Murray, the Shadow Scotland Secretary, uh, who I think was the first Labour voice out of the traps after the result. And he made a very compelling case as to why neither of these two can even begin to present themselves as a fresh start uh, because they are so caught up with what's happened in the last few years. Liz Truss, even the other day, sort of continuing to defend Boris Johnson, Sunak, yes, as, as, as Keir Starmer said in, in, in our conversation with him yesterday, he said, you know, how can Sunak suddenly pop up now and say that he's Mr. Integrity and Mr. Honesty when he propped this guy up for for almost three years. I think that does make it very, very difficult. And I just think, it you know, the points that you were making to Keir, funny enough, when I was, Fiona and I were driving down through France and we were listening to it, and the points that you were making to Keir about the economy, I kind of felt they're going to become a really immediate, really big challenge for whoever takes on this job. And of course, when you've got trust has been tamed to Sunak, you basically have driven the economy into recession. And Sunak's line on trust, I think, is going to be that you don't really get the economy. You don't really get how this stuff works. I think they could do each other a lot of damage in the next few weeks. Yes. Well, I think one of the fundamental things is that you can ask almost anybody, and maybe in a way I was being unfair to Keir Starmer, pushing him so hard on this. I don't think genuinely anybody in the world has a good answer to how they're going to generate growth at the moment. I think we're going into what feels to me like a 
a horrible recession, period of stagflation. The numbers are all against them. Energy prices are going to go through the roof. You know, as people have been pointing out recently, saying that inflation is going to come down doesn't reverse the inflation. So you've swallowed the 10% inflation. Let's say inflation comes down to 5%, 6%. You're still looking at 16% inflation and the interest rates are about to go soaring up. So I don't, I, I think we're going into a horrible situation. What do you think, what, what's your basic sense of, um, if, if you've got friends who are saying to you as somebody who knows them better than I do, What's your sense of when people say, what do you think of Rishi Sunak? What do you think of Liz Truss? Well, I, I think the, the, the big call is, is, of course, what are the members going to think? I mean, there was an interesting opinion poll on that debate on Sunday night by Opinum mm. polls, which, and they put down Rishi at getting 24% of conservative voters, 24% of Labour and 26% of swing voters, when Liz was on 20% conservative, but only 9% of Labour and 17% of swing. So the point, I guess, there is that she's very, very close to Rishi Sunak in terms of the conservative members or conservative voters. Conservative members is a different question. She may be well ahead of him with conservative members. But in order to win an election, Rishi would certainly be in a much stronger position. Mm. I mean, the thing, the trouble is with the, this whole process, which I think has just been mind-blowingly awful. I, I think that I get the feeling that the Conservative Party and the contestants as well I don't think they really understand how the public are looking at a lot of this. Yes, the public are fascinated by it, a little bit as if it were a reality TV show where one goes out and then another, you know, then, and here we are at the final. I think, I think millions of people are genuinely interested in this. But I think at the same time, there is something about this process that is making people feel that this is just profoundly undemocratic. And also that, Frankly, I think there's a growing sense that the, if this is the best that we can have as the next prime minister, then we've really got a problem. I had a text this afternoon from a, a head of government who shall be nameless, but is it is it Eddie Rama? No, it's not. But it's it's somebody who who is who is let's say a bigger country than that. Um, <laughs> but they basically looking on, thinking, and actually said, are they really going to sit where? Churchill, Thatcher and Blair used to sit. I think there is a feeling that this has been a very small contest of some pretty small people. Now, I have to say, as a as a non-Labour Party member who supports the Labour Party, I do think that Liz Truss would be far better for Labour, if only because I think Sunak has a kind of... I think, I think they're both very right-wing. I think Sunak is very right-wing from an ideological perspective. I think he's, he's, he's on the sovereign individual side of the Conservative Party. That's why he loves all this enterprise cities, enterprise zones and free this and all the sort of charter stuff that he's doing. But I also think that she, whether it's by design or by ambition or whatever, she's become very right-wing. So we're actually talking about two figures on the right. The, the, the one thing that maybe Penny Morden or Tom, Tom Tugendhat would have given you was a bit of a different choice. So I think that's going to increase the possibility of this being about them just sort of, you know, being very different personalities. And she is, as we said yesterday, she's channeling everything towards the membership. What do you think about their presentational style? So setting aside your Labour allegiances, what, what, what do you think about the way that they communicate and perform? What's the difference between them? Oh, God. I mean, I, I said a little bit about this yesterday. The, 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 I, I find Liz Truss's whole manner. Um, this, I, this, look, I don't know her that well. So there's, I could be completely wrong. But there's, it stri there's something deeply inauthentic going on there. Um, it's almost like she's trying so hard to present in a certain way. 
And it is sort of sub-Thatcherite. It's like, you know, I'm the woman, I'm the strong woman. I wish one of these interviewers, well, she hasn't done any interviews. She's obviously scared of being interviewed. I'd love it. And can we put out an open invitation to both of them to come on the podcast? I promise I'll be nice and respectful. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to be queuing up for that. Yeah, I'm sure they are already. <laughs> but I really would. This thing about, you know, she, the, the, this, this, she gives herself this massive global leadership role on Ukraine. She talks about always having got stuff done in the various jobs that she's done. I don't know if you've seen, um, have you seen Dominic Cummings' latest, latest offering tonight? It's go, go, quite, go on, give us, give us that. Give well, us that. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite dramatic. So Dominic Cummings has written as follows. I gave Trust the nickname Human Hand Grenade when she worked in the Department of Education. She said this week it was a compliment because she got things done. No, it was because she causes chaos instead of getting things done. Trust is the only minister I ever shouted at in number 10. I think I shouted at more than one. The reason was her compulsive pathological leaking. As soon as she left any meeting, she'd call people like Harry Cole on The Sun, Carrie's ex-boyfriend, and blurt out what had been said. This routinely caused chaos and often damaged the UK. I called her over to number 10. I sat in that tiny little room near the cabinet room next to the loos. I said to her, what are you doing leaking everything? Stop. Focus on your real job where you're failing to grip your department and focus on that he then says the eyes had a thousand yard stare i think we've seen that on the tv what do you mean the real job she said it was pointless to go on for her leaking to the media was the real job I mean, it's just sort of, and then he, he says this, Boris is supporting Truss. Why? One, he thinks it's the best way to stop Sunak. Two, he knows Truss is mad as a box of snakes and is thinking there's a chance she blows, then there's another contest and I can return. Back to your theory. Yeah, well, I, I think I think it sounds, um, sounds plausible. It's interesting also his phrase, mad as a box of snakes. I like that, mad as a box of snakes. Um, I think um, one of the issues is going to be that Rishi Sunak is going to have a challenge with Conservative Party members. I mean, mm. to put my cards on the table, I'm much more sympathetic towards Rishi, I guess, than I am in the other direction. But I think that she's doing something very straightforward, which is that she is promising tax cuts. And people have got it in their mind that that's what Conservatives are about. It's, it's bonkers. Mm. It's completely mad at the moment. Mm. Because when Mrs. Thatcher was doing those reforms, many, many things were different in the world. Firstly, Britain's debt position was not where it is now. We now got debt to GDP ratios, which are kind of the size of our economy. They were then about half the size of our economy. The deficit was much, much smaller. And we weren't lurching into a global recession at the moment at which she started working. But also the things that Mrs. Thatcher were doing can't be done twice. So a lot of her privatization has happened. Her deregulation city, London, has happened. So what Liz Truss is doing, and it's a very dangerous part of the Conservative Party, is somehow believing that you can do it again, that you can, and you can see yeah. bits of this, we're going to sell off the council houses again when they've already been sold off. So we're going to sell mm. off housing association mm. houses instead, or we're going to privatise more things when basically everything's already been privatised, or we're going to deregulate more when most of the radical deregulation's already happened. I think a lot of these things... They were, they were very controversial at the time. Historically, within the Conservative Party, they have become very popular. But I'm not convinced that they're at all popular with the public at the moment. And I think, Rishi, you talked about the... I didn't really answer your point about Sunak in relation to the presentational point. I think what Sunak is going to try to do 
essentially is to embrace this thing about, you know, you don't love me as much as maybe you love these people who tell you what you think, what they, what you want to hear. But I'm going to be the guy who tells you what you need to hear as, and not just the sort of populist tell you what you want to hear. And the other thing I think he's, he's going to do is actually give a, a more coherent sense of what a modern economy is about. I mean, I think he was trying to do, and it was interesting again in the interview with Keir, you had already picked up on some of the messages that Sunat was putting out there about, I think you picked on innovation, education, and something else that he said, I can't remember, investment. And you picked up on that as he was, and I think he's going to go into that kind of whole technological route as well. I think he's, but, but, but I think for his, his presentation is, is basically, to say, okay, you might not love me the way you, 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 and I don't have Johnson's kind of pizzazz and all that stuff, but I'm the kind of, I'm the only serious show in town. That's going to be the way he presents himself. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. I mean, it's true that what voters... Yeah, I agree. Are, that the number one thing they're looking for, they claim, is trust, and the second thing is competence. So that could help him on those things. But having tried in a Tory leadership debate to say that I wasn't going to cut tax and seeing the other four candidates looking at me as though I'd completely lost my marbles... Because all of them knew, even though they weren't going to cut tax, they all knew they were going to raise taxes, that they had to say to the members they were going to cut tax. So I think Rishi's got to be very, very careful here because um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's not a natural fan of Liz Truss's at all, but something about – he's a conservative, true conservative – and something about the I want to cut tax appeals to them. And they're very, very suspicious. The risk for Rishi Sunak – is that he's going to sound like a mouthpiece for the status quo. He's going to sound like a mouthpiece for the treasury. And conservatives like the idea mm. that you're challenging the bureaucracy, that you're going to shake things up, that you're not going to just accept the status quo. And if he keeps saying, I've been the chancellor for two and a half years, and the treasury tells me you know, that you have to do it this way, people are going to be looking for somebody who's going to be radical. I mean, this is not a period, as we keep saying, this is a period of populist post-truth politics, right? This is a period where people want to attack the status quo. They want to be against the elites. They want to be against the establishment. And it's very, very dangerous for Rishi Sunak if he begins mm. to portray himself as the mouthpiece of the treasury. And of course, it's very easy to couch for Liz Truss to put, portray him as the establishment, unfortunately. All right, let's take a quick break there, Rory, and we'll be back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome back to The Rest is Politics with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. Rory, we've um, got a lot more listeners than when we first started this podcast. Um, and it means that a lot of people will not have heard one of, one of the favourite stories that any, either of us have told on this podcast, which was when you you talked about your first encounter with Liz Truss. And I, I thought that might be a, a useful way to introduce how they would be as foreign policy prime ministers. Yeah, so Liz Truss... <laughs> I, I gave a speech for Liz Truss. And as usual, I was banging on about foreign policy. I can't remember what I was talking about, probably Afghanistan. And at the end of the speech, she took me aside and she said, thank you, Rory. Uh, but I cannot understand why you or anyone else is remotely interested in foreign policy. I think it is completely boring and irrelevant. The last job I would want to do is be foreign secretary. 
And still to this day, I am not sure she was joking. Just on that point, by the way, the, the other part yeah. of Dominic Cummings' um, latest rant, he talks about this whole leaking culture. And he said, of course, you know, Johnson occasionally screamed, but on leaks, he basically didn't really care and was never prepared to take, take the tough action to control it. And of course, he and Carrie leaked and briefed against his own government's policies themselves. The problem of leaking went through a transition during the collapse of May. Ministers got into the habit of leaking everything without consequence. I wanted to change this after the general election 29. I couldn't because the prime minister wouldn't. This infected, this is incredible. This infected everything, including National Security Council meetings, where, understandably and rightly, Senior figures such as C, the head of MI6, stopped saying much because they knew ministers routinely leaked. Generally, the system could toughen up on this legally and technologically, but won't without PM backing. And again, I think he's sort of basically saying Liz Truss is not a serious person and therefore not to be trusted with national security. It seems to be... Yeah, well, there's something completely mad about this leaking system. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And most of the people who make it to the top in politics, many of the leading candidates in the cabinet have got these tame journalists who they're very close to. And they've built their careers on having journalists talking them up in the media. And the price of that, as, as, as you know, far better than me, Alistair, is that they're feeding them tidbits all the time. They're on the phone to them all the time, giving them stuff. That is catastrophic for something like the National Security Council, because the only way in which the intelligence services now are supposed to be controlled is not actually directly through the Foreign Secretary. It's through the National Security Council. And I was a member of the National Security Council. Yeah. So sitting on it, Foreign Secretary, Development Secretary, Defense Secretary, Chancellor, Prime Minister. If these people don't speak openly, then they're not actually accountable to politicians. You can't actually mm. know what they're doing. Right, that's dangerous for our democracy. So you need to create a safe mm. space in which you can talk to the intelligence agencies and which they need to be very, very honest about the risks. Because if they start um, concealing things from politicians, either because they think they're leaking, or I think what was common with Boris Johnson, which is they didn't trust him to make a risk judgment. So they wouldn't yeah. actually take the real decision to him because they were afraid that he would just take the most gung-ho choice. But once these mm. guys start losing any confidence, any good faith in their relationship with politicians, you lose the democratic accountability and control. And it's very dangerous if people working in a secret way in these agencies are not under full democratic accountability or control. So th there's something else problematic about what he's told us. Yeah, and you, you, but you probably, you, I'm sure you, I, I know people still who work in the intelligence services, and I'm sure you do. And you do hear this all the time, that there, there is a concern and it de I don't think it was there under David Cameron, and I don't think it was there under Theresa May, but it has definitely been there under, under Boris Johnson, where there is a real fear about sharing information with elected politicians. And of course, that then leads to the sort of paranoid rubbish that Johnson was talking about in his, in his what you called his barnstorming speech the other day, when he actually used the same phrase as Trump about the deep state. But if you can't, it works two ways. This, if the if the intelligence agencies feel they can't trust their political leaders, then we really are in trouble. And if Liz Truss, I don't know whether this is right. And you know, Dominic Cummings, I think we can all accept is is a, is an interesting but not necessarily always reliable source. But if it is right that Liz Truss is somebody who is one of these politicians who is beholden to certain journalists because i have to tell you roy in all the t i know we got the reputation of spin and all the rest of it one thing i think most of the journalists will tell you is that certainly for as far as we we were concerned we did not use them in that way we used them 
to communicate what we were trying to communicate, but it was never about sort of personal image building. I think that that road lies death for all of them. Does Sunak do it, do you know? Does, does Sunak have friends in the media? I, I don't hear as much about that. I mean, the, the rumours were always very strong around Liz Truss, Pretty Patel and others, and actually even around people like Tom Tuchenhart having very close friends in the media, but less so, I think, with, with Rishi Sunak. Although, of course, James Forsyth, he was the best man at his wedding or the other way back. And Allegra Stratton, of course, is James Forsyth's wife. Jim Forsyth being the political editor of The Spectator and Allegra Stratton being the number 10 spokesman. Yeah. Um, listen, let's just, sorry, I just wanted to follow up. There's quite an interesting point you were making about the difference between getting your message across and image building. So the story is that when you were in number 10, there was a particular journalist on The Times who was almost your mouthpiece. I can't remember his name, but everybody talks about him all the time. I can dredge him up if you deny this. Tom Baldwin and Phil Webster. That's right. There we are. Tom Tom Baldwin's the, Tom Baldwin's the name. That's it. Yeah. Oh, Tom. Tom's a great man. <laughs> so the question is, what's the difference between the sort of messages you would want to put to Tom in order to communicate the government's policy compared to what you're saying is, is dangerous or death-like, which is the personality stuff? No, I think, for example, I, I, I would I would argue, for example, that although you know Gordon Brown did become prime minister, um, I think that the he had people around him, Charlie Whelan in particular, who were building up Gordon's profile at the expense of the government as a whole. In other words, they were basically promoting Gordon. You know, they ran this line at, at one point, they ran this line, which quite a few of their client journalists took, which was basically, you know, Tony's like the chairman and Gordon's the chief executive, or t Tony's more like a president and Gordon's the real domestic prime minister. And it just, you know, I think any communication within a government should be done to the benefit of the government as a whole. Now, it's easy to say that if I was working for the prime minister in down, inside Downing Street. But I think that where you, and of course you have to do a little bit, you have to do some of that personal image building stuff if you're trying to get known. But I would argue that that whole sort of Liz Truss Instagram thing where she gives the impression that that's what matters to her. I think that's a bad way to go about your communication. So, and the thing about, the thing about Tom Baldwin, all of my briefings are on the record. That's the thing that you have to remember. I put the number 10 briefings on the record. I assumed any conversation I had with a journalist was on the record. And, but there obviously are some journalists that you liked more than others. And I think that's just part of human nature. But I would never look at those journalists and think, I have to help them get a story. It was always about, if I brief them on this point or that point, is that helping what the government is trying to achieve? That was always my rubric. And I think you have a lot of journalists, a lot of politicians at the moment. I mean, you see this in reshuffles. I mean, my God, they seem to be tweeting the journalists as they're walking in and out of the building, you know, yeah. being offered defence, but I've said no. I mean, it's just unbelievable no, it's, what it's, goes it's, on. It's there. extraordinary. Um, listen, the, the one thing I would say for Liz Truss is that I imagine having worked with her in DEFRA, she was my boss in DEFRA, I was the junior minister and she was the Secretary of State, that she will probably be very, very tight on message discipline. I remember that I took through the plastic bag tax, uh, put the 5p on the plastic bag. And then I, as the environment minister, started talking about putting um, a tax on takeaway cups to try to encourage people to, to use renewable cups. And I got the most unbelievable rocket from her immediately. She had a very, very clear sense of message discipline. And her great line mm. to me was, stop being so bloody interesting, Rory. Your job is not to be interesting. Stop being interesting. And she would say this 
every time a story came, every time I was uh, stepped out of line in Parliament. So I think you'd have some kind of, you'd, you'd have some fellow feeling for her in the way that I imagine she would run things if she was Prime Minister. She would not be encouraging. Yeah, but I, listen, I, I wanted uh, I wanted people to be interesting, but in a co- coordinated, coherent and disciplined way. That sounds to me, Roy, like she was maybe a little bit jealous of you getting, you know, a bit of profile that maybe she wanted herself. She obviously loves being very high profile, I think. And and I'll tell you the other thing that I think is with, with I, mean, I don't know if you, if you noticed yesterday, according to one of the papers, she left home in a, a dress of one colour and then she arrived at the cabinet meeting in a dress of a different colour. Very cool. She changed in the car like James Bond. <laughs> but why why leave home in one colour? And go to the meeting in a different colour. Was it because was it because she'd seen that some of the other cabinet ministers were wearing the same colour for the team photograph? Possibly, or I guess it was to get you and me talking about her on the pod show, podcast. I mean, I think maybe on that's the pod part show. of the trick. Is pod show. That's me, <laughs> well, I suspect we're going to be talking about her. We're, go- we're going to be talking about her for for the next few weeks, I guess. But I mean, this this contest, how the hell? Look, a general election, the longest election campaign. Let me just back up and make my prediction at the moment, which is that I am inclining towards Rishi Sunak. I've not endorsed anyone. I had to put in the Sunak. I know I get told off if I call these people by their first names at the moment. So I'm inclining towards Rishi Sunak. But I am very concerned that actually Liz Truss has an edge with the Conservative membership. Because I'm worried that some people will not vote for Rishi Sunak because of his ethnicity. I'm worried. I don't think that will be many, but I think there'll be some. I'm also worried that there will be people who find it difficult to relate to somebody who seems very, very wealthy and who seems to come from this sort of global elite. And Liz Truss has advantages there. And if she adds Mm. to that, speaking as the voice of Mrs. Thatcher, and of course, the party incredibly nostalgic about Margaret Thatcher... The way for Rishi Sunak to win, I think, is to really hammer home that he is the person who understands Thatcher's economics and Liz Truss doesn't, and to say Mrs. Thatcher would not be bankrupting the country at this moment, that when the debt's like yeah. this, the deficit's like that, she would be trying to balance the budget. But that's going to be a difficult difficult thing for him to sell. Mm. Well, I, 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 I repeat what I said yesterday, I, 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 or when we recorded on Monday, I, I thought it was going to, I've always thought it was going to end up trust, Sunak v. Truss. Um, I think if the Conservative Party has any sense, I'm not convinced that he'd be good for the country because I really don't like his politics. But I think that if they have any sense, Sunak is the only real grown up. And I think that's come out through the, the contest. I think I think Liz Truss would be terrible. I also think she's, in, I think she's very, very unpopular. And she's not as well known as she thinks she is, but in so because Johnson has, people underestimate for the, for the general public, Boris Johnson has dominated the conversation between the government and the public overwhelmingly. Matt Hancock was on the scene a little bit because of COVID. Rishi Sunak has got a profile. But frankly, the fact even Ukraine, Liz Truss has not really made that much of an impact on the public. So I think that what Rishi Sunak has, he's he's coming at this now from the perspective of having been the Chancellor, having been the one who defenestrated Johnson. Both of those things can be played against him in the membership. He's got to try to turn to his advantage. I think that's quite a difficult thing to do. But I think that I think the Tory party members, um, I think they're going to go for trust. And don't underestimate as well. I mean, I despise the Daily Mail, as you, as you know. 
But, you know, we were talking about that to Keir. That police investigation in Durham would not have happened in my mind without the Daily Mail doing 13 front, 13, uh, front pages on, in a row. They are backing trusts and they're going to be poisoning, pouring poison about Sunak straight into the minds of the Tory party members, just as they'd been doing for Penny Morden. I also noticed in that debate on Sunday night that Liz Truss has got quite a cunning game going on. She is, on the one hand, presenting herself as continuity Boris Johnson. She presents herself as the loyalist. She's picked up all of Boris Johnson's supporters who are very angry with Rishi Sunak. And at the same time, she's trying to pin on Rishi Sunak all the things that people disliked about the Boris Johnson government. In other words, mm. taxes going up, economy not performing in the way that people wanted. So she's, she's, he's got, if he's going to win this, he's got to turn that around. He cannot allow her to say, I represent all that was good about Boris Johnson. I'm going to pick up everybody who loves Boris Johnson. And then I'm going to pin on you all the things that people don't like about Boris Johnson. I think they're both going to pay a price for having been in that cabinet for so long alongside him. And I don't know if you saw that um, that Labour Party uh, video that they put out yesterday, which, which I, I'm going to give a, a, a shout out. I've heard that it was from a young guy who works for the party out in east of England somewhere called Liam. And he did it off his own back, and it was absolutely brilliant. Did you see it, where they've just taken cuts, clips from the Conservative leadership debates, and they've done it as a Labour Party broadcast, because it's basically them just saying how awful the Conservative government has been for, for, 12, for 12 years. And so I think that is a problem for both of them. You're talking about, to use one of your favourite words, Rory, you're talking about a distinguished former Chancellor and a distinguished Foreign Secretary. <laughs> these, are two, these are two of the great four officers of state. Miss Patel appears to have vanished from the, from the scene of the crime. She just vanished. Um, and Rory, I wanted to ask you, have you noticed how ministers just are not going to Parliament when they're summoned to these uh, emergency questions and Patel has sort of now pulled out twice from a select committee meeting. I mean, the, the contempt for Parliament is becoming like a virus. It's completely bizarre, isn't it? T totally bizarre. I think we probably should move to an end to, of of this, but but just something to finish on, which we were talking about just before we got on air, which is, and we were coming off the back of Keir Starmer and this economy point. I think the thing that will determine this race and the next election is whether anybody can convince the public that they have any clue as to what they're going to do about the economy. And I think that's a problem for Keir Starmer, and it's a big problem for Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, because the idea that we know how to generate growth, or at what cost we're going to generate growth, is, I think, the big, big question. I don't think they can generate growth. And the only way in which I can imagine generating growth is going to be incredibly damaging to people's lives. I, th I, I think you were right to press, press Keir on it, but I think that you're talking here about a new prime minister, if it's Liz Truss, who goes on the whole time about as you was chief secretary of the Treasury, Rishi Sunak, who's been chancellor for the last two and a bit years. I think for them, it is going to be the biggest thing in their inbox. And, you know, I don't know if you've been following what Martin Lewis has been talking about in terms of cost of living and energy prices and food prices. This is going to go into an even worse space very, 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 very quickly. So I think that, you know, Sunak, I think, is banking on the idea that the Tory party is ready for some serious messaging. And, you know, that says to me that he maybe thinks that the populist virus is dying out, but I don't think it is. I'm afraid it isn't. I think it's a good thing to end on, but I think your your instinct is right. There are so many reasons 
right the way back to the fact that people felt left down by the elite since 2008. Social media, everything we've talked about means that populism, we're in an age of populism. And in an age of populism, mm. it's very difficult to run as, as you say, the kind of serious truth-telling technocrat pushing for prudent policies. Mm -hmm. well, very briefly, Roy, before we go, what, what sort of feedback did you get on the chat we had with Kia? I think the, the main thing that I got was this point about growth. I, I think people groan now when politicians of any party say they're going to deliver growth. I don't think people think they can. What did you get? I got a lot of people saying they, they'd not heard him so relaxed and confident. A lot of people saying that. Um, I had a few people say they were absolutely chuffed that he uh, committed to restoring DFID. Oh, I got a lovely message on that. I mean, I cannot tell you, my phone exploded with ex-DFID officials saying, really well done on getting that commitment on DFID out of him. I mean, there are <laughs> champagne corks going off right the way across sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, exactly. So that, so that was good. And, then, and, and I think that, um, so I think, I, I think people thought he was, the tone was very good. I thought he came, they, people thought he came over really well. But, I felt, but, but quite a lot of people saying, I think as we both felt that on the economy, it's got to go much, much deeper than where it is now. Um, but certainly the confidence. Listen, don't underestimate the importance of confidence in a campaign. I, I thought his tone was lovely. I thought he was very likable. I thought he was very warm. I think where I disagree with him, as I think we said afterwards, is that I think the problem is much, much bigger than Boris Johnson. Mm. And it's not just going to be fixed by getting in the Labour Party. I think our whole democratic structure isn't a real problem. I think our whole world economy isn't a big problem. I understand why he's doing it, but I think there's a real risk that if he just plays continuity, I'm more honest and I'm more competent than the last man. I don't think that's enough to carry him through. Mm -hmm. Okie dokie. Well, that's another special episode of this very unspecial Tory leadership election uh, for The Rest is Politics with me, Alistair Campbell. And me, Rory Stewart. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. You were probably signing your own death warrant. Well, probably, but I'd moved into damage limitation mode. Who killed Liz Truss? I'm Robert Peston from The Rest Is Money, and we've been telling the story of the worst financial crisis faced by a British government for 50 years. The consequence of the catastrophic mini-budget. And now I'm talking to the Prime Minister. At that time of extreme chaos, Liz Truss. Over the course of two episodes, I ask her what she knew and when, how much responsibility she takes for the crisis, who she blames, and of course, who killed Liz Truss. Listen to The Rest is Money now, wherever you get your podcasts.